Well, church family, I don't know if you um, would all remember, but a number of you would remember that uh, maybe a couple of years ago in the fall, we had a season where the Lord began to teach us to expect the unexpected. <laughs> remember Mark threw his message up? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> we responded to what the Lord is doing, and it seemed to be the theme for the season. Well, we've got a little bit more um, unexpected this morning. We're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew with eyes to see how does Jesus bring restoration. And last week I preached on Matthew 4 where Jesus, um, he's just been baptized in the River Jordan. He said the Holy Spirit come on him. He's ready for ministry. The Spirit sort of mysteriously leads him out into the desert to face temptation. And we looked at what is God restoring as Jesus faces temptation and overcomes. He's restoring human ability to overcome against the devil not in our own strength but he's laying he's actually laying down a new humanity that jesus is is the first fruits where adam brought us into bondage jesus brings freedom by persevering in righteousness and we receive from him that righteousness and his spirit and we fight the devil off his track record not our own And so we were strengthened by understanding what Jesus has restored through his resisting and overcoming the devil. We saw all the way to his death and giving his own nature to us. And then after the service, I had conversations with a number of you. And somebody said to me, Pastor Dave, thanks for bringing that message. Could you preach part two? And I said, could you say some more? Well, you said... You said the gospel wasn't that we could copy Jesus, but the gospel was that Jesus lays down a new humanity, a new human nature that we receive and we're empowered. But I still want to know how do we resist? How do we battle against the devil? And so could you bring us a message on that? I said, I'll think about it. I don't really want to. I didn't say that out loud, but I didn't want to because I had another message bubbling in my heart. And I woke up on Monday morning And all of this scripture just started to flow up from the Lord. Uninvited, unanticipated. I'm just sitting there and the scripture just starts to flow. And I thought, well, I better listen to you, Lord. And um, it's really interesting because the scriptures that were flowing were on two really distinct themes. So I want to name them to you right now and then let them lead us in. But I was thinking about peace and war, peace and battle. So... Jesus is our peace. Jesus has made peace with God. He restores peace to us. It's a part of our inheritance in him. It's a fruit of the spirit. He gives that peace and he says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, right? So God is restoring shalom to all creation, but to every believer, living with peace is a part of what we receive in Jesus, And yet, and yet, the scriptures seem to be full of uh, battle imagery, warfare imagery. And so all these scriptures were flowing up to me. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Put on the armor of God. Stay alert. Be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Fight the good fight of the faith. So I was sitting there and I was thinking, why is it that if peace is what we're given, we've got such a battle to fight in this world, such a war to wage? And, you know, you can give the easy answer that is, well, the kingdom of God has come. It's here in part, but it's not fully here. And so until Jesus comes and brings it in its fullness, we live in a battle zone. We've got to wage war. Well, yes, that's true. But I think there's something more to it. When I think about God's fatherly goodness, his perfection as a good and perfect father, and I think about why He allows us to engage in struggle, in difficult things, in battle, in warfare, to come under attack. Why might that be? This is what I sense. This is a real sword, okay? It's not mine. It is on loan from the Jaspers family. I'm going to back away from you guys. Okay. This is a heavy sword. And in order to wield this sword well, you need to train with it, right? So you need to practice. And if you swing a few swings, okay, you can do that. But if you swing a lot of swings, you're going to get really tired. You're going to get fatigued. But something's going to happen through that practice and that swinging and that fatiguing. And that's something that's going to happen is you're actually going to get stronger, When you engage in battle, when you engage in struggle, when you pick up a sword and you learn to wield it, you actually grow in strength through the very activity of wielding that sword. You tracking with me? Okay, I wonder if this is why James says, consider it pure joy when you face struggles or trials of many kinds, my brothers and sisters, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance in you. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, I think another way to say this might be, God has a finished version of you and of me that requires our joyful participation in the battle. He has a finished, complete in Christ version of us that requires our joyful engagement in the battles that He lets us come into. So how do we battle? How do we recognize and overcome the devil's temptations or his attacks meant to derail our potential. Remember last week we listened to that little, well, I, I shared that Bill Gaither song, I am a P, I'm a promise, full of potential. And I said, everyone's got loaded with potential in the Lord. He's designed you. How do we stay on track with his designs and not get derailed? Turn to 2 Corinthians 10 with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to pick up a scripture from here and then one from Ephesians. 
Paul says, verses 4 and 5 of 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, the weapons we fight with, have divine power to demolish strongholds. So whatever it is that we fight with, God has invested his own strength. He created everything. He's invested his own strength, divine power, into those weapons. And then Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God or against knowing God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want to think about these words for a few moments. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The the, um, imagery of taking captive is something that we do to hostile parties or hostile people. And so Paul's saying, you have thoughts that are hostile to you. You have thoughts that if you entertain them, if you believe them, if you allow them to have a, a shaping or a governing influence on your heart, on the way you view yourself, on the way you view God, on the way you view the world, on the way you view the body of Christ, they're actually hostile. Those thoughts will work toward your evil in the end. Now, let me pause for a minute and go back to Jesus battling temptation in the desert. One of the things we didn't talk about or pick up last week is that this is a real mysterious encounter. And the scriptures don't give us a lot of insight into how the devil appeared to Jesus and Jesus battled the temptation. But one of the things that you can notice is that Jesus responds once, responds to a second temptation, and at the third one, he says, away from me, Satan. And one of the things that I think can be inferred, though not, you can't, this is my best guess, okay, is that he may not have discerned that this was Satan until the third temptation. The Bible tells us he masquerades as an angel of light. Oh, you're hungry? Well, you're the Son of God, right? Like, you've got the ability. Just just turn these stones into bread. Okay, why am I picking up on that? Because when you start to think about the, the, the thoughts, your thought life, the thoughts that come to you that you have that are very important, it brings you into the sphere or the domain of the, the kind of mysterious realm of interacting with the spirit world. How is it that we're tempted? How is it that we have thoughts come to us that don't originate from us? Most of us don't see in the spirit. Some Christians, as part of their spiritual gifting, do very occasionally see angels or see demons. But the vast majority of us don't live with that gifting. It's not something we normally do. So 
part of what Paul's speaking about here that he speaks about in many other places is the fact that we have real engagement with a spirit realm that's trying to malign us, that's trying to oppress or attack or lead away from the Lord or away from faith or away from encouragement or away from obedience or into sin that we don't see. And he's saying part of the way around this, part of the way that we battle is we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Jesus. Well, that's a picture of astounding vigilance. Um, that could be exhausting. And I wanted to start by asking, is, that, is he serious? Is this really necessary? And I want to give this illustration to answer. Let's pretend that Anne, who's my wife, and I are both driving down the 196, and I'm in the truck and she's in the van. We're both driving 70 miles an hour. We got it on cruise control. And, and then I knock the cruise down one mile an hour, so I'm going 69. Just the slightest of differences. If you were to drive by us on the highway, you'd hardly be able to tell that we were going different speeds. It wouldn't look like a big difference at all. But if we kept going those different speeds for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we'd have over 100 miles between us. We'd be quite separated. If Anna and I were out on the lake and we were sailing boats and we were marked for the same course, the same destination, and I moved my course off by a degree, you wouldn't be able to tell that we were hardly going anywhere different. But if we sailed for a week, we would end up in vastly different destinations. If I want to maintain unity in my marriage, I am married, I have union, but if I want to maintain unity, I need to move at the same speed and course. I am in Jesus. I belong to Him. If I want to maintain and live in union and out of the union and unity that I have with Jesus, I need to maintain the same speed, the same course. A little bit off has a large effect. So when we talk, first, when we start to talk about taking thoughts captive, being aware of them and the influence that they can have, the answer is yes, vigilance is needed. My mind needs to be renewed by the Word of God because my mind shapes my life. Oftentimes, I allow myself to feel things because I believe certain things. And then sometimes I find out that the things I believed weren't actually true. And I felt silly for allowing myself to undergo what I felt on the basis of what I believed. We have union with Jesus. It's gifted to us. But in order to live into it, there's a renewing of the mind by the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's necessary to help us live in that union. John 15 says, Remain in me and my words remain in you and you'll bear much fruit. That John 15 kind of 
Unity with Jesus and bearing much fruit does not come about by a five or ten minute morning devotional. How many of you know that you can, you can have a wonderful time with the Lord in the morning? And uh, if you're morning people or evening, if you're evening people, but you can have a wonderful time with the Lord in the morning. And about an hour later, you can be snapping at somebody. You can be thinking things you ought not be thinking. You wouldn't think them in the presence of the Lord. You wouldn't snap that way if he was standing there. But an hour later, you're off. Right. Well, we need we need um, for most of us. To live in union with Jesus. Because remember I said last week, we battle the devil from union with Jesus. His Spirit strengthens us. His Word empowers us. We'll talk more about that in a minute. To live in union with Jesus, most of us need to slow down. And we need to create space for quiet reflection because we cannot discern And we cannot take captive what we are not aware of. Let me say that again. We cannot discern and we cannot take captive what we are not aware of. Most of us move too quickly from thing to thing to thing, from conversation to conversation to conversation, without evaluating what's going on beneath the surface at the level of the heart or the mind. And so the process of becoming more aware of and able to discern our thoughts and our feelings and their source, this is actually what moves us in large part from immaturity, weakness, and often harassed or bothered to a place of maturity, strength, and encouragement in the Lord. Let me say that one more time. The process of learning to become more aware of and to discern our thoughts and our feelings, remember we're weighing them against the word, is what moves us from immaturity and weakness and often harassed to a place of maturity, strength, and encouragement in the Lord. How so? How does this happen? Well, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They know my voice. So the more I grow to know Jesus' voice through the Word, I know what the Spirit sounds like. I know how He speaks. I know how He lifts up the Word. I know how He convicts. I know how He comforts. I know how He counsels. I know how He reveals. The more that I get to know the voice of the Lord, Father, Son, and Spirit, the more quickly, readily, and easily I'm able to discern the voices of fear, of anxiety, of doubt, of worry, of accusation, and of deception of a thousand flavors. As I grow to know the voice of the Lord, or as we do, we become empowered to do what Jesus did that we saw last week in Matthew chapter 4, which was the work of taking thoughts captive or discerning. Now again, recognize he's, remember we keyed in last week, he's genuinely and fully human. So he's out in the desert and he's hungry and he's got to face this real temptation from someone who's masquerading as an angel of light in all likelihood and who presents scripture to him. 
And yet there's something in him because he knows the Father so well. He's filled with the Spirit. He can, he can tell that Scripture the way that it's spoken right now. That's off. That's not the Father. That's not God speaking. Even though it's God's Word, it's not God speaking. You catching the difference? Right? And Jesus is able to respond to him with what God is speaking that comes from the Word of God on two occasions. What's Jesus doing? Right there, he's modeling for us what Paul teaches in Ephesians 6 where he says, put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now I've got another sword here, and this one should um, surprise you because of how small it is. This is Matthew's, he made it. It's like a dagger. The word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6 actually pictures a sword about this big. You don't wield a sword this small far off. You wield a sword this small, this is like a dagger, in close hand-to-hand combat. And you don't hurt anybody with this thing. You swing that thing hard, you just give it a good swing, and you're liable to slice somebody. But you aren't going to hurt anybody with this thing unless you give it a thrust. There's got to be some oomph in this thing to even make an impact. Okay? So, first thing, I'm working with a small tool meant for close combat, and it's got to be thrust. Now, second thing Paul says is, what is this thing? He says it's the Word of God. I can't remember if we've talked about this here before, but Scripture's got two words that are used for Word of God. The first one's logos. You would know this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's logos. And logos always means the written Word, the recorded Word of Scripture, except when John uses it to talk about Jesus, who is the written Word. Okay? But every other occasion, it's the written Word. The second word for word is rhema. And rhema means that which is spoken or uttered or an utterance. That which is spoken by a living voice. So when Jesus says to Peter, hey, take your nets and throw them on the other side. Peter goes, uh, you know, we fished all night. But because you just said the word, because you just rhema, I'll do it. And he does it, and you know the fruit. What Paul is saying here when he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he's saying, take the Word which God is speaking, which the living voice of God is speaking right now, and wield it against the devil as as you face him. Wield it. Thrust it. Well, what does that require? That requires that I'm keyed in, that you and I are listening, we're dialed in, we're saying, God, what do you have to say about this struggle, this battle, this temptation, this problem, this difficulty, this discouragement that I'm facing right now? What do I wield? I want to take my thoughts captive. These ones aren't lining up with you. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm I'm battling, struggling with this temptation towards sin. I don't view myself the way you view me. I don't have a healthy self-image. I'm, I'm struggling with this or with that. 
okay, I recognize that. I want to take my thoughts captive. I want to resist them. Take them, take them captive to Christ. Now I want to battle. I need you to speak. What do you say, God? What do you say? I know uh, one of my mentors says, anytime I get in the place where I need to hear from God, I flip open the scriptures and I don't stop reading until I've heard from God. It's all God's word. But he's going to lift something up. He's going to highlight something. He's going to breathe on something. And he's going to give me something from his word that is a promise. That's going to strengthen me. That's going to enable me. It's going to help me overcome in this situation. And I'll use that because he's just spoken it to battle the devil. Let me give you an illustration of this that comes from our congregation. Scott Jaspers um, has given me permission to share this. He shared testimony, what was it, a month ago, Scott, five weeks ago? Um, Scott shared testimony of the Lord delivering him through prayer ministry from a long-standing battle, two decades, with doubt, where he literally had a war in his mind, and he came to recognize, I'm battling more than just a thought pattern. The, The enemy's got a foothold here. And he said, I was actually delivered from the Spirit. And uh, one of the things he told us afterwards was, the next morning I had a clear mind. Like clear for the first time in 20 years. Clear airspace. Like I wasn't battling. Well, Scott shared, after his testimony, he shared um, this with me in writing. He's given me permission to read it. I'm just going to read to you because his words are beautiful. So he says, after telling my testimony a few weeks ago, I felt like one of the gaps I left... Not meant, not like I missed, but just wished I could follow up with clar- for clarification's sake, was that I didn't expect the temptation to doubt to never come again. In fact, I knew it would come back in some form, and I knew that I had habits and patterns I could fall back into if I wasn't alert. And I was alert, and definitely felt the attacks to go back to old thinking come off and on. But by the grace of God, I could now recognize them and come against them rather than letting them take over. The night before giving the testimony at church, I was still working on trying to pare it down to the short time frame. And so I went for a walk in Richmond Park to go over it some more. After being out there for a bit, it still seemed like I wasn't making any progress. And I started to feel discouraged that despite my spending a lot of time with the Lord in prayer on it, it still didn't seem like it wasn't, still seemed like it wasn't coming together. I realized after a bit that I was fighting with the thoughts. Remember we talked earlier about thoughts, hostile thoughts coming from outside. Okay, I was fighting with thoughts. Why wasn't God helping it come together? Was this really a work of God? Was this really a deliverance? Was it just an emotional experience? Etc. I took a little time to pray against it and submit myself to God and then continued working on rehearsing my testimony, and it continued to not go well. And those thoughts continued to gnaw on me. In fact, it was making me start to despair that I had waited a month to share my testimony to make sure the change was for real. And now that I was committed to sharing, people knew I was sharing and were planning on it, here I was wrestling with it again. Somewhere in there I noticed that Sunday was one month to the day for my prayer appointment. And although I'm not sure there was actually spiritual significance to the number of days or not, it prompted me 
to open my eyes and see that this was a battle and the enemy wanted the ground back and was making a redoubled effort for it. So I got up, started stomping around that little Richmond hilltop, indignantly praising and proclaiming. I sang aloud, quietly, but still aloud. The first fragments of praise songs that popped into my head, magnifying God. And I read Colossians 1 out loud about the supremacy of Christ. And I prayed strongly that I belong to Christ and my faith and trust would be in Him and for the armor of God to be on me and whatever else came to my mind. It was a steady stream for probably 10 or 15 minutes. After that, I sat down and it felt like my mind was clear, that my peace about my place in God's hands was restored. I started working on my testimony again and it came together pretty quickly after that. Three things stood out to me. The thoughts and feelings endured during my first resistance, but I needed to stand up and stubbornly fight for it instead of giving in. Two, when in doubt about what to pray, start by magnifying God with whatever comes to mind and at least make your mind and vicinity a place hostile to whatever is opposed to him. I love that, Scott. Beautiful. Make your mind and vicinity a place that is hostile to whatever is opposed to him. Third thing he said was, you don't have to argue with the lies in order to defeat them. It's completely fair and okay to just not let the, the lies have a word in edgewise. Notice how Scott didn't just dangle the sword. He didn't wave it about lightly. He didn't. But he learned through the process. Remember we talked about that in the beginning. You grow through the process. He recognized what is impacting me right now is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of the living God would not be sowing this kind of doubt, confusion, and producing this kind of fruit in me. Whatever it is, it isn't God. And when he resisted it the first time and it didn't stop, he said, Nah, I'm not putting up with this. I am a child of God, no longer a slave to fear or doubt, or whatever else. And he went, not to his own strength, he went to the Word of God and he said, I hold this up against you. I wield this. And he thrust it. And that's in the, the process of praise and of declaration is where he saw the breakthrough. Well, what do you do if you don't feel strong? What if you do if you, don't, if you don't feel like you've got strength to do this rising up within you? This is where I want to give some personal testimony. 
the last three years, I felt um, incredibly weak most of the time. Uh, many of you know physical struggles. I've woken up every morning since December or through the night with um, nerve pain, numbness, tingling, um, trouble sleeping. My dad has a brain tumor that's the size of a lacrosse ball. COVID's been pretty hard, um, and uh, there's been a number of other things behind the scene that have just been really emotionally difficult. And I felt weak all the time. And one of my daily patterns, when I, when I feel weak or I'm feeling um, discouragement is a big one coming against me, is I'll just go for a walk with the Lord. And I, I walk St. Anne's home, which is real close to our place. It's a little half-mile loop. And I'd say nine times out of ten, I'm on my way to the gate. And before I get to the gate, the Lord puts in my heart the same scripture over and over and over again. And the scripture is from Isaiah 40 that talks about those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And that picture of renew is not getting old strength back that you had, like renewing that way. It is gain new or fresh strength that you did not have before. And as soon as he puts that scripture in my heart, I just start singing, Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, our strong deliverer, you reign. And it takes me about 30 seconds of singing, praying, and I'm in the Spirit, with the Spirit. He's strengthening me. And then I'll just pray and walk uh, as He leads. Pray Scripture. Pray in the Spirit. Be silent. But strength, fresh strength comes over and over. And it comes from the Lord. So the only thing that is needed to engage this is faith. It's it. You simply have to have a, a mind renewed by the Word of God, to believe He loves me, He is for me, He always provides. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He always provides. He always has something for me. He always has help. My helper and my counselor does not leave. Just faith to go to Him to wait upon Him and to receive from Him. And this is where the faith partners with the Word of God. And so those of you who are younger in the Lord, I cannot stress enough the benefits of reading, studying, memorizing the Word of God and putting it in your heart. Because I can, I can feast on that Word without opening the Bible. Now, I'm not counseling that. I don't, I'm not telling you not to do that. But I'm just telling you, I can feast on it. He can lay out a banquet before me because of 20 to 30 years of spending an hour to two hours a day that's not for pastoring, that's just for me in the Word. And it's, it's there, okay? So if you're younger in the faith, you keep that with you. You, you. you meditate on it. You drink it. You eat it. It is food and drink. And you go to the Lord with faith. And He will strengthen you over and over and over again. To fight the battle. The primary battle that you face day in and day out is for your mind. It's over your mind. Because what goes on here shapes everything else. It shapes your attitude about people. It shapes the way you respond to people. It shapes the way you see them. It shapes your, um, sense, your ability to see and discern what God's doing. 
It shapes how you respond to what you see on the news. It shapes whether you're going to respond in fear or in faith, in everything. Kate, I want to end with this. Kayleen shared a dream that the Lord gave her, a part of the dream. And that dream was that we, we here were a, a family of medics, of uh, first responders in the Spirit who are on mission with Jesus, ministering to the brokenhearted, to the poor, and who strengthen one another in the process. Well, I want to add one little piece to that and, and then um, say what I think the Lord's doing. I haven't shared this, neither has Pastor Gina, because it didn't feel like the right time. But several years ago, we had a retired Christian Reformed pastor come and worship with us one Sunday. And he sent an email afterwards and he said, I was sitting in the sanctuary, the head of worship, and I felt like the Lord just dropped into my spirit this word. He said, I felt like the Lord said, this place is my adullam where my mighty men and women of God are being raised up. You know what adullam is? Adullam is the cave, the place of refuge, the sanctuary where David gathered in, in the book of Samuel. He gathered uh, men around him. And there's a, a list of his mighty men who fought many battles with him. And this pastor said, this, I sense the Lord said, say to me, this is my adullam where I'm raising up my mighty men and women of God. Now listen, you may not feel mighty right now. But Gideon didn't feel mighty either. And Gideon didn't become mighty because of anything other than faith and stepping in. When God said, you are a mighty warrior, he stepped in, in obedience. So, what is God doing? He is, he is building a community of first responders who love and care for one another and who are mighty men, women, and children in the Spirit, able to work with Jesus to bring the kingdom. And the way that that is going to happen is actually through our engagement in the battle, personally and in community. Okay, Wielding the sword of the Spirit, the dagger. Sometimes we wield it on our own. Sometimes we wield it um, for each other. And so you've got to say, I need you to come around me right now. I need prayer. I'm struggling. I'm weak in this area. Help. I think the last thing, do you have anything? No? Okay. I think, I think the last thing the Lord wants to say is that there's some of you, there's some of us, who have
Maybe we're sitting on the sidelines watching others battle. We've allowed a degree of passivity into our spiritual lives. We've become so overwhelmed by the many real difficulties that we face. We haven't been taken out of the faith, but we've been taken out of the action. And the Lord is saying this morning, rise up. Rise up. Rise up, men and women of God. Receive my strength afresh to engage the battle. I have victories for you in Jesus. Victories in your own life, but also victories through you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you, you're so good, Father. You're so good. We just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. And we pray that your goodness, would, would, which is going to renew all things, would be renewing us all the more. Lord, that you'd renew our minds, you'd renew our hearts, the places that are broken, places that have become withered, places that have just kind of shriveled up or dried up. Lord, I pray for fresh life, fresh infusion of strength, fresh faith. Lord, I pray for those of us that haven't been aware of just how much we've been in a battle. We've we, we're hearing about it now and we're recognizing, oh man, I have been under assault. I have, I have, I have, my mind has been assaulted. My heart has been assaulted. I've been, I have been withered. Lord, I pray for fresh strength to be poured in right now. Even as we worship Jesus, strengthen the church. And I pray, oh Lord, that you'd particularly grow us in this ability to wield the sword of the spirit. Lord, that you grow our ability to hear what words you're speaking, what scriptures you're lifting up and anointing and saying, speak this, say this, thrust this right now into this situation so that we could release your words and you would bring strength. You would make a way through. And Lord, we do pray that you would raise up an army in this place to break chains in the name of Jesus. give you all the glory, Lord. We love you.